Live at 5, Sports with Todd and Suhan. Brought to you by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort. Timberwolves Wild both win last night. More of a significant wild it feel, uh, win for the Wild, it feels like, Jim, because they've been flagging. They changed the head coach. The GM is always hopeful the team will immediately respond, and they have. They have, uh, and in a remarkable fashion, uh, immediately better defense, immediately better um, penalty kill. They look a half step or a full step faster than they did under Everson. And, you know, we talk about the different voice in the room. There are a lot of cliches we apply to situations like this. I, I thought Ryan Carter made a good point on the broadcast last night. He said, you know, sometimes, like, Everson was kind of a player's coach until the end when he got ticked at him. Um, he was kind of a player's coach. He's, and Ryan Carter said, you know, sometimes guys feel like, hey, the coach likes me, the general manager likes me, I'm in good shape here. And then the coach gets fired, and you go, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> i got to play for this guy. Yeah. I, I, I have no equity with this guy. I'm starting fresh. I better bust my butt. Yeah. And, you know, listen, do hockey players care? Of course they do. We're talking about a fine margin between being semi-comfortable and, and being desperate. And sometimes you've got to be desperate to play good hockey. They, look, they just look like a completely different team right now. Hockey games live on the edge. I mean, uh, one little bounce wrong here and there changes the result uh, of a game. It is those tiny little margins that need to be taken care of in order to win games. Yeah, and it's, you know, there are other sports where skill is more important. You know, baseball and basketball, you got to have skill. And then you hope the guys with skill play hard, but you got to have the skill first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hockey, if you're a half step behind, your skill doesn't matter. Yep. You know, you got to be, you got to have, you got to create room and space on offense, um, but you also have to grind on defense and you have to hustle back and help your goalie and, you know, rut, protect the crease and block shots. You have so many little things in hockey that are pure effort things. Uh, skill's very important, but skill doesn't matter if you aren't, if you aren't playing hard. What's the biggest difference, do you think, between Everson and, and uh, uh, Hines? I mean, honestly, I don't think there's much difference. Um, you know, I just think that Hines has the benefit of coming in and saying, okay, I have a fresh start. Here's what I see, and we're going to do it this way. And you just got your last coach fired, and, you're, uh, you know, I have your attention. I really felt like it was almost more of a mood thing. You know, it's like Everson was a likable guy. They started, they, they came in with, you know, Average expectations this year. They've been in a rut. Haven't been able to win a playoff series. Uh, it just felt like that whole franchise has been under a wet blanket all year. And I don't think it was Evson's fault. I just think that he was the easiest guy to change to try to jumpstart this thing. And I, I think Hines is smart enough and competent enough to, to know what buttons to push in his first week here. And we've seen nothing but Kirill Kaprizov in his career so far, except a guy who keeps moving, who's always playing, who who seems to be indefatigable, and that wasn't really the case so far this year. Do you think he looked at his star and said he needs a change too? It, it's a tough one because Kirill just doesn't say much. He doesn't speak a lot of English. Uh, you know, he just doesn't talk much, even when he's is you know is in front of the media. He's a hard guy to read. Um, looking at it from the outside, I just think he was just like his teammates. They were just they weren't playing well. They weren't sure why. Um, it just felt like a depressed team. And you know, this guy is so good. Um, it, when his head's right, he's just hard to stop. And and you know what we saw last night, he just makes those 
you know, sometimes he has great scoring games. Sometimes he makes a, has those games where he just makes a quick little pass mm-hmm. that just opens up the ice for his teammates. And I th- think he saw that the last couple of games. Timberwolves are down two starters uh, playing last night, not against one of the top teams in the league. Nonetheless, you're missing two starters. You have to overcome some adversity. Uh, they started slow, but then did that. Anytime we see Rudy Gobert hanging on the rim several times, usually a good thing happening. Yeah, I thought that uh, they came out very, they, you know, they're missing two other top five players, uh, their best offensive player and a very valuable offensive player. Jaden McDaniels really is a good complementary offensive player to what they have on the court. And they were really clunky early. Mm-hmm. They, they really played poor offense for a long time. I really felt Towns kept them in the game, uh, getting his points efficiently while nobody else was really scoring. I felt like Towns kept them in the game. And then the second half, they got it going. Towns continued to play well offensively. Nikhil Alexander-Walker came through. Uh, and Gobert had another very good you know, game, really 94-foot game, mm-hmm. where he's blocking shots. He's affecting shots, he's dunking, he's getting his rebounds, and that was enough to beat a bad team. Now the Wolves have are tied for the best record of the NBA. They have a game-and-a-half lead on the Nuggets for best record of the Western Conference, and they have three winnable games coming up. They can get Edwards back. They could be in really nice shape here going into mid-December. Boy, I guess so, 14-4 and four, uh, at this point. So, you know, uh, you were kind of thinking, and, and others as well, that maybe Gobert was kind of hiding an injury or something last year, why he wasn't like he is this year, which is all over the floor, uh, reaching out to the three-point line to defend guys uh, at times. But didn't I hear recently that kind of everybody was just kind of, he wasn't quite used to being here. He thought guys kind of were against him a little bit initially, and, and he was just more reserved last year. Did you hear something like that? It, I've heard, it's really both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've talked to enough people that I'm pretty confident in saying it's both. Ah. He played, you know, He played in that big European tournament going into last year. He came to camp. He just wasn't he wasn't injured enough to not play, but he wasn't healthy enough to really run the court the way he is now and cover ground the way he is now. Then you add in the fact that they were splitting defenses, uh, so they were playing the certain coverage when he was on the floor and certain coverage when he wasn't, which kind of confused some, uh, some of the other defenders, which made it hard for Gobert. Then you add in the fact that Angel Russell didn't like Gobert and didn't want to throw him the ball and, uh, you know, just did not he was you know Towns and Ant were very welcoming of Gobert although Ant did have some frustrations to Gobert early just because he felt like Gobert's in his way when he drove to the rim mm-hmm. um, and then on top of all those other things uh, I do think he was he was just physically not himself um, and then this year's just completely different he's got a point guard who, who loves him and knows how to get into the ball uh, the stars on the team are very very good to him and and value him. He's contributing to the defensive philosophy. Now they're playing one defense all the time, which means that the other position players know what's going on all the time. And Gobert feels a lot better, which means he's chasing three-point shots, not just hanging around the rim. Yeah, playing terrific, really, really fun to watch. And and this is why he's been the defensive player of the year in the past in his career, because he can shut a whole team down almost. He, and he might win it again this year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, your column uh, that came out last evening about 7.30 dealt with Daniil Hunter and his contract situation, you know, Cousins' contract situation gets all the ink uh, and all the attention. But Daniil Hunter, I mean, he's a 29-year-old tremendous pass rusher. You know, be able to have a good quarterback or somebody that can affect the quarterback, and he certainly is that for the Vikes. But the salary cap is there. Uh, what do you think is going to go on with Hunter? 
Well, I've talked to some Vikings people. I've talked to Jeff Diamond, the former Vikings general manager I always go to uh, for mm-hmm. this kind of stuff who I do a podcast with. And, you know, but basically they all say the same thing. And, and you know, I don't get to talk to Rob Brzezinski about this kind of stuff. He's, mm-hmm. he's a really good guy. He's very accessible in a lot of ways, but he's not going to, you know, divulge uh, Vikings business. Yeah. But I, I've known how I've known him for a long time. I know how he operates. So the challenge is they got to sign Cousins, I believe. Mm-hmm. They got to sign Jefferson, everybody believes. Mm-hmm. They got to keep, they got to sign Christian Darisaw. He's a very good left tackle, and we know that they need him. And I think Daniel Hunter has moved himself to right to the top of the priority list. He's a great defender, 29 years old. He's one of the best players in the league, and you have nobody else who can do what he does. Um, and the first thing everybody says, well, you can't, you know, how are you going to fit him on the salary cap? And I just always go back to what Jeff Diamond told me, what Rob has told me, what other people. If you really want a player, there's always a way. And, in fact, the fact that they're going to sign Cousins, we think they're going to sign Cousins, you can give Cousins some voidable years. Mm-hmm. You can sign Jefferson and give him a, uh, a big signing bonus that prorates out that actually makes him relatively affordable next year. There are ways of getting deals done and moving money around where you can keep all your good players. It's not easy. It takes a lot of expertise. It might cost you some money on role players, but you can do it, and I think they're going to have to. That was the interesting part, uh, you know, uh, might cost them some money on role players. So maybe the, you know, 50th through the 53rd man or something like that, not not quite as good. I mean, you're not going to save millions uh, down there, but but other places you have to sacrifice a little, or is the salary cap in the NFL just kind of not really a cap? Yeah, no, it does affect you mm. somewhat. Mm. Um, and what it really leads to is it means if you want to have, you know, a top-heavy roster, you're going to have to draft well. Mm. Then that's where you get affordable talent. You're also going to, and I wrote about this, you also, it's really important to have a good defense coordinator. Yeah. Uh, when Tony Dungy came here, he turned people like Todd Scott and Otter McMillan and, you know, I mean, it, just guys who were just nobodies in the league. He turned them into Pro Bowl caliber players when they were making no money. Now you're seeing Brian Flores is turning Josh Metellus into a, an excellent player. He was, a, he was a role player in a special team the last year. Yeah. You're seeing Ivan Pace getting a lot of run at making absolutely no money. You're seeing, you know, Makai Blackman making plays as a guy who's not making any money yet. Uh, you know, so I think having a great defensive coordinator is absolutely vital if you want to save money on that side of the ball. Jim, thanks so much. Thanks, Todd. Live at 5, Sports with Todd and Suhan, brought to you by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort.